Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg, Flick City, episode 86. Three interviews, all dealing with one movie. That movie is called Daughter. Comes out on Friday, February 10th in theaters, in select theaters, as well as on VOD, stateside. Now, if you, I know, I've been looking at the numbers. There are people outside of North America who actually listen to our podcast. So check your local distributor to see if Daughter is playing in your local town or city or you can actually get it via streaming or VOD in wherever in the world you live. Why? Because this is a very interesting movie. Plotline is seemingly... It it was surreal and interesting to me, and the, the performances are excellent. Okay, so the plot synopsis, it centers on this young woman played by actress Vivian No. She's simply known in the film as Daughter. The beginning of the movie, she's kidnapped by a strange man and played by Casper Van Dien. That man is, he's just known as father. Her mission, uh, not her mission, her role as this abductee, the person who is kidnapped into this domicile. She is supposed to be on good behavior for two years and play the daughter in this atomic family unit. And the main focus regarding this family is to ensure the growth and the survival of their son, who is, I guess, he's just played... He is known in the movie as brother, and that brother is played by Ian Alexander. And Vivian No, Vivian No, even though in the movie's titled Daughter, I'm looking on IMDb, she's called Sister. So Sister is Vivian No. She's the abductee. Ian Alexander plays the brother, the younger, quote, brother. The mother is played by Elise Din, and again, the Casper Van Dien is the aforementioned father. What's interesting about this movie, a lot of things that are interesting. First of all, it's a predominantly Vietnamese American cast, that is the mother, brother, and sister. These actors are all Vietnamese American. Casper Van Dien, you might know him from Starship Troopers and a whole bunch of other movies, genre, genre-rific movies that I, recently I saw, I think a couple of years ago, opposite Ryan Philippi in the second movie that I dug as well. Now, Daughter, directed and penned by Corey Deshaun, he's a black filmmaker, and the initial, the genesis of, of this project was him talking to Vivian maybe four years ago, about their respective frustrations at the lack of representation in cinema, and they wanted to tell a a story that pretty much is an organic expression of their frustration or and their creativity. They actually wanted no bounds with their respective artistic expression. Henceforth, Daughter, now four years later, it's finally coming out on February 10th. That's, I guess, my way of summing up the last four years. I'm going to let Corey and Vivian and Elise talk about what the last four years of getting Daughter up to the silver screen as well as your local VOD platform, the the journey behind that. You're going to hear that during the interview. Most importantly, the movie itself works for me just on that aesthetic of throughout the entire movie, you're wondering what's going on. Why is Daughter, played by Vivian No, is why is she actually, she's trying to figure out why she's there, and even though the surface is she's supposed to play the good daughter slash sister, maybe there are different motivations behind each character. Is brother as seemingly nice and genial as he seems? Is there something behind his facade? The mother, she speak. The mother speaks speaks to the daughter in Vietnamese as a way of a coded language that father, who is white, cannot understand. Father is pretty much the, he's the patriarch, and within this family, he is the big boss man of the entire dynamic. So everyone is pretty much under his rule and thumb. And each of them, 
mother, brother, and sister react to his rule in their own separate fashion. Just a very interesting thriller that I dug and very good characterizations, solid performances. And you know, I've been doing interviews since 91 and I mentioned this in the the interviews. I haven't really interviewed a lot of Asian Americans talking about their respective films. A lot of that is my fault because I only, over the years, working with Westwood One and then now with my Deepest Dream site and the podcasting stuff, I've only generated interviews that were given to me just from films that were coming out on a given week. And a lot of times just by stats, stats wise, most of them were not Asian Americans or Asians in general. So it's great now that for something like Mother, I was going to say something like Mother, that's that's a Darren Aronofsky film, for something like Daughter to come out, which A is I really enjoyed and B has some really great POC representation as well. So for most of my life, I've always been like, hey, it has to be entertaining. It's a movie. I, I don't care who's in it minority-wise, and maybe that's a wrong way to go, but as long as it entertains me, I'm going to cover the movie and I'm going, to, I'm going to sing its praises. So just on a surface level, Daughter works for me as a movie. And then if you deep go down on the layers, the fact that regarding the POC representation and also the storyline itself, it's not just about a girl who's abducted and is trying to survive the, the the next day regarding this family, which is very dysfunctional and surreal and possibly who knows, it might be a violent family because at the beginning, you see one of the women killed by father during a sort of a, not a standoff, sort of a chase in the, in the canyons around their home. So again, listen to these interviews. If daughter seems something that's interested, interesting to you, support indie cinema by either going to your local theater, checking it out where it's playing in your neighborhood or purchasing it, purchasing it on VOD. I'll leave all of those links on our show notes. I'm really just surprised. I look, I should be covering more of these type of movies, meaning minority based films, but selfishly, I should, I, I'm just excited to be covering a really interesting, wonderful first rate thriller. So just on, on a double prong situation, I'm very happy to actually int- just release these interviews so you guys can listen to all, all of the layerings of daughter. I will be quiet now and we're going to start off with Corey Deshaun. And then after Corey again, we're going to hear Vivian and then finally, at least in. There's a reason why they, they're sequential like this, especially when you're going from the Vivian interview to Elise's interview, because Vivian drops some information regarding Elise that gets tied up full circle wise by the end of this episode. Finally, there's a four minute clip, that audio clip that I took out from this interview because I asked Corey Deshaun about the ending of Daughter and he goes into a four minute just discussion on why the ending is is as is. I'm not going to say what happens or whatnot. But also, I don't even know what Eric Holmes or Bruce Perky, fellow cinematic co-hosts, or I don't even know if Anderson Cowan's going to see Daughter, but I know I loved it. And in about several hours, I'm going to talk to Eric and Bruce to hear their reactions to Daughter. But before then, this this episode will be released for your ears. And that's it. All right, guys. Love you all. Thanks for supporting all four of us here on Cinematics. There's also Cinematics merch you can you can check out. All that stuff, I, I'll talk about all that promotional stuff, but focus, focus right now on daughter. And if you ever see this movie, tell me what you think. All right, guys, take care. Bye.
family is the most important thing in this life. I don't want to hurt you. Do you understand? I need your help with something. <laughs> Diseases out there don't play by the rules in here, son. There are no rules out there. There's a couple things you need to understand. Everything I do, I do to protect that boy. Smile. You don't have to be afraid of us. Just let me go home. Mother thinks you'll be here a while. It fills me with joy to know that our family is whole again. Welcome back, daughter. I want these last few years to be special. Corey, I have something for my podcast co-host, Eric Holmes. He, unlike me, is a very astute observer of things. So he reads end credits, okay? So uh-huh. special thanks to all the beer Corey drank while writing this film. So Corey, I always have this fear about writing because... It's such a solitary process, not encouraging alcoholism, but in jest. Uh, what beer did you drink? And does it, does having a little bit of uh, imbibing, does that help a little bit with the loneliness as far as writing the, the actual script for Daughter? Well, all I know about loneliness, I'll go to a dark place. But I will, I will say, I was waiting to, to, to know who was going to be the first person to see that or to point that out. And nobody's brought it up to me yet. So you're the first one. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the case of this particular writing process, I, I would say we got to step back a little bit first to where to how this film came about. And that was through Vivian and I just having conversations about where we were in our careers. Uh, Vivian, who plays daughter and is a producer on the film. Uh, she and I, in her career as an actor and in mine as a filmmaker, felt uh, trapped in similar ways and that the industry will impose certain expectations on us as artists of color or people of certain demographics to say you as an actress in this age range and this, this you've got to do this or you can only do that. And for me um, as a black filmmaker to say that you're supposed to make a film like this or you, you can't do this other thing or you can't go out and be weird and experiment. And both of us getting to the point where we're just kind of sick of hearing that and saying, you know, we're going to go out and make something for ourselves to, to create opportunities for ourselves to challenge ourselves in the ways that we want to be challenged as creators. And that in a way was very creatively freeing in the sense that we were not making this coming from a place of seeking approval. We didn't need to hear what somebody thought if they liked the film. Great. If they don't, all right, cool. That's also fine. We just want to make this for us. We want to, we want to be able to have that opportunity in our careers, even just once to go out and take a wild swing and see what happens. And when it came down to the writing process for me, what that meant was I was relaxed. I wasn't worried about, is somebody going to like this script? Is a producer going to say, okay, is it, you know, or, you know, whatever the case might be, it didn't matter. We were going to go make this for ourselves. And so instead of being, you know, tense, locked up alone in my room, typing, wondering, Oh no, what's going to happen? Is this any good? No, I'm just chilling back, relaxing, drinking a beer, watching some movies and cranking out a script. And that was, wow. 
it was it was the mindset of what could lead to a film like this. And and also I had this thing where I wanted the credits to take ter- certain shapes and be arranged a certain way. And I needed space on that line. I thought, well, who else could I think? Well, you know, I could think the beer. You could think the beer. Yeah, that's a, this is a very, a lot of layers to the answer because this, here's the thing. I love basketball and I love when people say we left it out all out on the floor. I like to think that, but when I see something like daughter, it feels there is literally that's nothing left on the floor. You put your heart and soul into it. I, what is that like? Because few people ever get to go to that level. And it just seems like the people involved really uh, figuratively bled for this. What is it like to be in that moment? Because you guys really put it on the line. And I, I don't know many people who do. Mm-hmm. So what's that? What's the, what's it like being on that other end and putting all those years of work into something like this where you're bleeding for it? Yeah. It's interesting. I think for me, the timing of it all was that I was ready for that. And I think, what was this? Maybe year seven, seven, eight. Yeah, I think year seven of being in LA where I tried other things. I, this was the the third attempt at a first feature to direct. I had one that had started to get some steam, few, but right a few years prior, didn't quite work out. One of the years before that, that was almost ready to go, didn't quite work out. So here for the third time, I think I was at a point to just release the stress of that in that way and, and be willing to just go out and put it all there and not necessarily be afraid of what the response could be. There's a version of this film where uh, nobody likes it at all. Like, I, I don't think it's a it's a super audience pleasing thing anyway, but a lot of people are liking it. And I still find that to be surprising in some way. You, know, you never really know what the expectation is going to be or what the uh, uh, response is going to be. And I went into making this film okay with that. I felt like I didn't need that anymore. I didn't need to be worried so much about what was going to come back on the other end because throughout all those years, the thing that I realized is that what I actually enjoy the most is the doing of it, is actually just making the thing, is the creative process of doing the writing, of developing the script, of working with the actors, of being on the set, of designing the, how the camera's going to move. And I got to do that. Finally, I got to do that in the context of a feature film. Finally, that was what I needed. Everything else has been extra credit. Now, speaking of extra credit, though, I look, you're, I was reading some of your articles. You're working on 16 millimeter film. You have, a, I quote, a package, a camera package from the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> that said, you love photography. Uh, you know, you're very passionate about it. So what's the flip side of actually not having the best digital equipment, not having the best package? But ultimately, the end result is you get really lived in performances and you get a visually arresting and unique film. Did you ever think that was going to happen? Because you're coming from 90s package, but it stands out. Did you know steps ahead that that was going to happen with Daughter? I I knew steps ahead that it was possible. Whether or not we were going to pull it off is its own thing. Uh, But I knew it it would be possible to do that. And the benefit of having been a photographer first is that I was able to communicate with my cinematographer very directly to be able to, I know exactly what size lens I want to shoot this on. I know exactly where I want to be in the aperture, like all that kind of stuff. We could just get that out and then go do it. We didn't have to worry about so much of trying to figure out how do I communicate with, how do I get the intention across? We could be just very direct and technical about it, um, which created space to find out how specifically on that set we needed to push it. Instead of taking up time on the day to figure out how we're going to communicate, we're going to take time on the day and figure out how we're actually going to go do it now that we both know what it is that we're going to go do. And 
part of, I would say there were two equally important reasons why this had to be on film. And one was, was for the overall intended aesthetic of the film. I wanted this to not just look like it was nostalgic for a past decade, but actually made in one. So even the choice to use an older camera package was intentional. I'm sure like if we would have allocated money differently, we could have been on like the 416, whatever it was, like the modern uh, 16 millimeter camera. I wasn't bothered with that. No, let's just go to the old SR3, something like that. I think they stopped making those in 95 or whatever it was. And that was an intention of say we're going to stick ourselves in this past decade. And we are going to use the technology that was available then. We're going to move the tech, move the camera in the way that it was moving then and prior to then and create a visual language out of that, not giving ourselves the space to rely on the conveniences that a digital production would have allowed us to rely on. And that translates to the practical kind of concern of it as well. And that when you have this little money, what that ultimately means is you have a a quick shoot schedule. You're not going to be on set for a month and a half or whatever. We we shot this in in two weeks, 12 days that actually ended up through some (laughs) unfortunate circumstances being getting reduced to like 11, 11 and a half, something like that. And at that point, you're already, whether you're shooting digital or on film, you're already in a position where you can't just sit there and do take after take after take after take after take. You can't just sit there and let the camera roll and roll and roll and roll and, and find your performances in an improv 10 hours later. Like you have to go in there with a plan and execute that plan or you're never going to make your day. You're never going to finish the film. So there's already this built-in time constraint. And, and so one of the things that, that ultimately does make film really expensive is when you do sit there on set and just roll and roll and roll. Because every time you hear that camera rolling, you're, you're hearing money burn, literally. We already can't do that. We couldn't do that if it was free, if it was based on a hard drive. So I go into this set and say, we only have time. And you know, we're shooting big chunks of dialogue every day. I'm doing these big master shots, long takes. Yeah. It's going to take a minute to, to do this. But we're already going into that day knowing that we only have time to do three, four takes at the most of any given setup. And if I get it in one, we're moving on in one. And we ended up being probably averaging two to three takes for everything. And that was how we proceeded through the film. The, the shooting ratio of this ended up being like six and a half to one or something like that. And suddenly I'm not burning a whole bunch of money. Shooting, like just rolling, rolling, rolling on film. We're shooting very intentionally because in part we have to, but also because I want to, because even that want to do it that way, is going to impart itself on the crew. The crew is going to bring their A game when they know that's the plan going in. They know we're not going to be sitting there doing take after take, and there's going to be time to find it. Like, no, we're, we're going in and we're moving. That's going to be the only way we can make these days. And that mentality that that brings to set, everybody wants to, they enjoy that challenge. They enjoy getting, being able to get on set and show off what they can do. Corey, you, you mentioned time, and I believe this movie was shot pre-COVID, maybe I'm thinking, I'm guessing maybe the year 2019. So maybe there's maybe three and a half years where over the years you get to know Vivian and Casper and Ian and Elise. I mean, it's hard to sum up in a soundbite, but you talked about the challenges of making it that 12 or 12 and a half day production shoot leading up to it writing. But what has been the three and a half years like just cultivating those relationships and seeing your actors grow and seeing yourself grow up to February 10th, this must be such an emotional experience because you've seen their careers take off as well. And then they'd be voices in their own respective opinion while you're journeying yourself as an artist. So I, I don't know how, do you, how you can encapsulate that, that answer, but just what does it feel like for you now leading up to it? You know. Well, I think 
it's funny in that the, the intention from day one was to make this thing that felt like it was a relic from a past era. And now here we are four years later looking at something in the pre-COVID when we were all so much younger in different places. Like we were like, yeah, it kind of is. We were digging up a relic from the past and releasing it now. And I think we, we do kind of look at it, at it that way. Like I have a very different opinion of the film now than I did when I first finished it back then. Uh, finished it, and it's it is from that change and from that growth. And I think uh, I think some of the cast might look at it that way too. I mean, Ian has changed so much from to who they are as a person now to them. Like I, I can look at this now. Like Ian, is that your kid in the film? Like who who is this little? Like Ian was eighteen, I think, when we shot that. Yeah. So. Um, what, just watching that growth has been really interesting. And it, I think it's allowed all of us to look back on the film and have a certain kind of pride in it, that it is sort of our child in a way. And we've seen that child uh, start to grow up in the world and now start to meet people on its own. And we're, I think we're proud of that. Corey, my great. Uh, my final um, couple questions is a two, it's a two-parter. First off, I, I read on your Twitter thread about streaming services and they're taking off projects left and right. And it really, to be lack for a better word, it pisses me off. And then you tied it in with uh, your the VOD release of your film, but I you also mentioned the DVD release. I am a conspiracy conspiracy theorist because like if I love something like Daughter, I'm gonna buy the DVD. And can you just speak to the notion of okay, it's great to have a digital library, but the importance in streaming, but the importance of physical media. That's for you. Are you passionate about physical media? And the second part of the question is, can you name one of your all time favorite films, and what is it about this film that speaks to you? And then I'm gonna shut up. That's the end of the interview. So. <laughs> Um, let's see, there's a lot to unpack there. I yes, think sir. even so I, I came out of working in uh in tech, and even in this world of unlimited, you know, obviously it costs something, it's expensive, but we'll call it a unlimited hard drive space where something can be stored uh digitally, there is this recognition that that is not still not permanent storage. The hard drives will fail eventually, that the data will degrade eventually, something like that. And the way even stuff like that is backed up is that it's backed up onto physical tape still, magnetic tape, and stored in some you know cold locker somewhere. There's this, the, the only way to get something permanent is that physical piece of it that you have to then protect separately. And when, you know, when all these streaming services were coming out, there was this idea like, well, we, are we really for the first time ever going to have this kind of curated infinite archive of everything that was made. That's really cool if that, if that could be the case, because they would have the ability to back stuff up physically however they needed to, to make sure it was around forever. But then the corporate interest takes it over. Well, wait a minute, you guys are making a lot of money on this. No, no, we want that back. Actually give it, give it here. We want it, we want it back. I'm going to take that back. You don't get to have it on your service. We're going to take that. We're going to make our own. And then they'll say, well, hmm, a lot of these other companies are, are making money on our platform. You know what? We're going to give that stuff back to them. We're going to invest in ourselves. We're going to make our own thing. We're only going to have ours. And now what we have all these years later is every little service popping up everywhere, all over the place with only their thing and only certain things because they don't want to spend money on it. And what's happened is we have access to less now. You have, <laughs> you have access to the fewer things. Yeah. And now I think people finally are recognizing that, yeah, the only real way to ensure that you will have something is to be able to hold it in your hand. And I think I'm, I'm curious to see where the industry is going to go with this at this point. Are we going to turn uh, BitTorrent into a necessity for archival purposes, or are we going to find a way to solve this problem without resorting to that? And maybe that is, you know, uh, more physical media. But that, that I would say, though, in the case of this film, that was one of the key deciding factors of why we wanted to go with Darkstar for this, because they were committed to that. 
you know, from day one, they believed in that. And I think for a film like this shot on film, we, we want this to have this sort of tactile feel in its existence. And they were like, yeah, we're going to we want to get this thing on print. Um, they were talking about even maybe doing like a, a limited edition special release VHS copy of it. Like just to say, we're, we're ever going to do it's like, yeah, let's, let's lean into that. Yeah. The this permanent thing because we don't know what's going to happen, but I tell you what, like you can't come into my home and take one of my DVDs out of my house and write it off on your taxes. I know that's for sure. So <laughs> that'll be, I'll still be here. Great. Um, and um, another question. Oh, the other yeah, favorite movie, uh, one of your oh, favorite movies right at the top of your head. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Um, I'm going to say it's the, the ballad of Narayama. There was two of them. And I want to say this was the first one. 1957. Now I want to look this up because I don't have okay. it on top of my head. Okay, I'll look it up while you're talking about it because I've I've never seen this movie. 1958. It's okay. The 1958 version of the Ballad of Narayama. If you've never seen it, I won't even talk about it. I think it's just best to go in there and experience it. Okay. It just it just completely works for you. It inspired you as a writer, maybe. Um, not I think not so much as a writer, but I, I want to. I might have even seen it after I saw Daughter. But hmm. what I what I love is it's particularly the visual design. And, and you'll see this is one of those uh, movies that, you know, shot on a soundstage. But the way they put this together, I look at that and I say, I need to create in my career an opportunity to do that. Because movies don't get made like this anymore at all, really. I need to find some way to be able to do something like this. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when, but it is going to happen. Like, that's, that's the next big target. It will, probably won't be my next film, but... <laughs> I'm I'm getting there and it's the creative design of the film. It's just one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Great. Thanks. Thank you, Corey. So much for your time and daughter DVD. I know we're, we're plugging the theaters and the, the, uh, the, the on-demand stuff, but uh, when, it, when the DVD comes out on May, do you, May are they good? Okay. Well, I'm sorry. May, May 9th, May 9th, any special features since the dark star release or is it just the film itself? Maybe with the trailer. I do you have an idea? Yeah. We will have some special features. We're going to try to dive into like some of the cool creative elements. Like maybe talk a little bit more about the cinematography design, about the music, about some of the representational aspects of the film. So there, there should be some other uh, cool stuff thrown in there too. Honestly, I really love daughters. Great job on overall. And I wish I could talk with you for, um, for longer, but I, I've already right. taken up my time. You were misleading about not being a good journalist at the beginning of this. I was expecting like dumbass questions here, but no, this was <laughs> a great interview. Corey, thank you so much, but <laughs> I, I do disagree with you. I am a dumbass. Uh, ask me, like, she'll know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time and, and continued success on your film. Really loved it. So, thank thank you, you. Thank you so much. Um, can I get a brief pronunciation of your last name just so I get it correct when I do the podcast? Um, it's no, but you can also say no if you if that vowel, that consonant is uh, not something in your your arsenal. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, first off, I asked Corey about this. Daughter just seems to be a, a movie that it seems that no one really went through the motions. It's a movie that is a, a labor of love, and it just felt like everyone bled throughout the production in a good way, in a passionate way. What's it like? to actually be on that side of a very passionate filmmaker and crew and just making something that it just really comes from your blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. I mean, I don't know during it, if it was always a good thing. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we, we, we said this a lot when we were crowdfunding too, was like it, you know, it's a film that is about this weird family, but it really is about kind of to me like the family who made the film itself um and that's kind of like the impetus like did Corey tell you about kind of 
the like how the project came about. No. It was just um I'd been I'd known him for some time and we were just a little like frustrated with what we felt were our limitations as like creatives of color. Um him being a black director and the stories he felt he was allowed to tell or um how people would be confused with the types of things that he would want to to um to direct and write um and centering people of color in these interesting art films and whatnot. Um and then for me as an actor, I just felt limited. Um, I think there's a lot of shifting and changes for Asian Americans and, and especially for me, Vietnamese Americans right now. But there was just this level of like, I, I was ready to stretch and he was ready to stretch and he was ready for his debut. And then so we were just like, why don't we do it? We had just come back from Sundance and we we're just like, we're ready to make a film. And then we just kind of looked around and like, well, we have all these people, amazing people we know. Why don't we make a film with them? So like he wrote the script for me, Ian and Elise. Wow. Uh, we were always kind of there from the beginning. And so like for me, um, I say, I kind of view me and Corey as kind of the core. And then, and then it was Ian and Elise and then Jess Vu, who's one of the other producers, we were the initial five. And then we started just bringing everybody in. Um, and it was, yeah, it was this, you truly a labor of love because um, we dealt with Santa Clarita forest fires um, you know, just so like, like, like power outages, like, like just truly like every step of the way, it was like, we felt like we were being tested and, um, being a, a producer, first time producer, and then being, this was my first time I played a lead. So juggling those two things, I, I don't know how I survived quite honestly. I slept for two hours a night. <laughs> But it was incredible being on this crew of just so many Vietnamese Americans, so many Asian Americans. I think a lot of uh, the Asian folks that joined us like responded to the script. Um, yeah. in, you know, because the it was it's not overt themes of like Asian American identity, but there's like subtext in all of that. So um, it was just incredible to just be around people and um we were cracking jokes in vietnamese here and there and it just it did feel like home it felt like a little family for a few now, weeks i've been covering press junkets and interviews since 91 and if someone were, were gonna tell was gonna tell me oh you're gonna actually do interviews with actors and a crew that's predominantly poc predominantly asian american predominantly vietnamese american i would have told that person good luck um what what is it like that? I mean, the day has come now, right? What is it like for you to be on the other end? And actually, you know, my generation, we were all about assimilation, assimilating mm-hmm. to the culture. And I think a lot of the, that subtext is brought on with daughter. But can you talk about just how this is pretty much a new generation of creatives and artists and you're pretty much at the forefront? It mean, must mean a lot for you, not just for the AAPI community, but for just it's an awesome movie. So double uh, pronged. Uh, profundity for you must what does it feel like you know so um I mean I don't even I think for me it's like I don't it's uh, like surreal honestly like I just was like uh just a few days ago I was like I thought release week was going to be chill and then I'm sending all these emails and following up so many people and it's just like it kind of hasn't dawned on me because we've been with this for like three and a half years and then like from the first conversation that led to daughter it was almost four years ago you know, and also we almost meet uh, Corey and Jess Vu um, at one point, almost 
produced a short film together at the beginning of 2019. And then it kind of just snowball, snowballed into this. Um, so for me, it hasn't really dawned on me, but I do think, you know, we are at this amazing period of, of shifting change. I think there's so much more that needs to happen. Um, especially I, I just really would love to see a lot more Southeast Asian stuff, a lot more PI stuff. Like, I just feel like there's so much that we can mine from the, the community and the diaspora. Um, but I, I'm incredibly thankful, like, with daughter, um, Elise Din, she's been in the industry for many years. And when I first met her working on the TV show, Queen Sugar, um, and then I looked her up, I was just curious. I looked up her IMDb and I was like, oh my God, she was that Asian lady playing the violin. And I, in in Spider-Man too. And I remember as a kid, like there were some Asian Americans, you know, in the nineties, some Asian Americans on TV and whatnot, but specifically on like going to a movie theater, and seeing someone that like may not exactly look like me, but looked like people I grew was around in my my community. I grew up in Little Saigon down in Orange County. Yeah. Um, and then I had no idea what she was Vietnamese. And then until I started, I worked with her, and then just you know hearing her stories of how things have shifted and changed, it really just is so humbling and brings so much in perspective and understanding that like, um we can't all be like stars and leaders and whatnot, but we're all part of this huge movement of change. And to be a part of that is incredible. And just like, I can't wait to see where we're at like de- yeah. like in a decade. Cause I, I came here, I came to LA, I moved to LA like the fall of 2014. So I remember when, when I fresh off the boat, start airing because that was like everyone like diversity had and inclusion had been a thing for a long time especially for the people that cared but i think mainstream wise in terms of asian americans being included in the conversation in the last like decade i feel like that's when it kind of started was in 2014 and it's just slowly snowballed and then like we hit the point with crazy rich asians and then like you know and it's just continued and it's just like this explosion so couple of final questions is who were you four years ago when you and Corey started kicking around this idea for this, for the script and the movie? And who are you today? The same kind of person or have you grown? How have you grown as a person or as an artist when you think of um, all those years? I think at the core, I am the same person, but I'm definitely um, in a much, I was, I was in a dark place in 2019. <laughs> so daughter kept me going a little bit but then obviously the pandemic happened and so I've been on this journey as an artist and a creative I've been doing this for many years I've been acting for like 15 years I I decided a year after I started acting that I was going to do professionally I went to like school and everything so it's been this long journey and you know people say this all the time um there's an interview I I listened to with Sarah Paulson um, early last year or something like that, where she talked about how she thought when she came to LA, she was going to be the next Julia Roberts. And she's always been working. Obviously there's some more opportunities for someone like her, but you know, if she didn't hit right away and, you know, it took her many years. And so she's like, it forced her to develop a different relationship with her craft and her work. And so for me, uh, you know, there have been periods where I thought things would just exponentially grow and just not stop. And it didn't happen at plateau. But, um, I mean, it would have been great, but I definitely think I would be a different artist. Um, I don't know if I would have, when I would have produced 
in a feature and if it would have been stuff like an interesting like art house feature like now I've recognized um as an actor I want to do a lot of everything as a producer um I have a weird penchant for like bad Christmas movies so I'd love to produce one of those at some point yeah please but but do something like that and then only on this foot and then the flip side is just like indie art house like I don't have an interest in doing like anything huge huge budget like I I want to make and support filmmakers who are trying to do interesting things and pushing boundaries because for me like as a storyteller I want to like do that but as an actor I just love doing everything but yeah it sounds like you have Thank you so much for your time. Really love the film. But as you're leaving, can you name right off the top of your head one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about the, what is it about this film that speaks to you today? All-time favorite movies. I mean, this year brought it. Everything oh, yeah. all at once, right? I actually also just watched Swiss Army Man, and I'm like processing that right now. Um, also, uh, maybe it's the. I mean, the film is great. Um, a film I always go back to. Um, La Vie en Rose, Mary Cotillard's performance is just whenever I need to cry. Also, shout out to Ham Tran, uh, Journey from the Fall. That movie came out the year I started acting. And just to see this Viet film um, at that age was very formative. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have so many different films that I love. But those are the ones that are just coming out of the top of my head right now. Again, thank you so much, Vivian. Really love this film and looking forward to The Accidental Getaway Driver as well. Yes. Great reviews. So, Very special project. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Talk about that soon. Okay. Take care. Okay. <laughs> right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Um, Yay. Thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, this is sort of a, a long, long-winded question, but I, I just learned from Vivian about Spider-Man 2. Every night when my, my six-year-old niece visits me, before she goes to bed, we sing the Spider-Man tune. And and when she gets want, old... I, oh, I'm sorry? I'm like, I want to sing along now. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you know, when she gets older, when she gets older and if, if she ever wants to get into the arts and she wants, and she's looking for just Asian Americans who do great performances, I don't have to point just to Spider-Man, to, to the childhood. I can point to daughter. Have you thought about this? Because when you and I were growing up, when we wanted to see our faces on the screen, we didn't have to, we didn't know what Shanghai Express or Anime Wong was, you know, can you just talk about that feeling about, you know, daughters going to be out there. They're going to be young kids who look like us, who can be inspired by these performances. And on top of that, it's a great movie. So. Thank you so much. You're going to make me cry. I, I get I get very emotional very quickly. And what you just said, okay, so I'm just going to hold it together. Um, when I first met Vivian, she actually said that she saw Spider-Man 2 in a movie theater when she was young. And it was, um, I don't want to speak for her, but this is what she told me when we first met. Because we played mother and daughter in Queen Sugar. That's what led to, to us working together here. and. Um, and she moved me very much. And she said, you know, I always thought like maybe I wanted to be an actress, but I saw it wasn't until I saw you because she goes before that I didn't see any Asian or not Vietnamese in a major motion picture that you can see at the multiplex. Right. And then she saw me and she was like, wow, well, maybe it is possible because there's that lady up there doing it. And it was so moving to me. And she goes, and now I, I can't believe you're my mom, you know? And then from that, she went on to actually study. She started taking classes and she actually has a degree, you know, a college degree in, in theater and drama. So 
if I helped in any way to, to, to solidify that decision for her to go down that path instead of going and becoming a pharmacist as a doctor, you know, like for Asians, we always have to do the safe things, right? So if I helped even in like a small, small way for her to say, no, I want to go to college and get a degree in this, then I just, it is so immense for me, you know, like what? <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And then it has happened several times since then. I mean, I just met someone who told me a couple of weeks ago that he was, and he was living in Vietnam at the time and he saw Spider-Man too. And I met him on a job and he, and we worked and we didn't know we were working, we're working a scene. And then he told me after we finished, we're wrapping up. And he says, I have to tell you something. When I was a boy in Vietnam, I went to see the movie and I saw you and I couldn't believe it. And you were Vietnamese. And he said, and now I'm here, I'm in America, I'm an actor, and I cannot believe I get to work with you. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't think about the impact of my work. For me, I'm very process oriented, right? I do the work. I'm like, is this a great part to sink my teeth into? Yes, let's have fun, right? And then I move on because I also know that in this business, that's all you can count on. You don't know some some things you do, they, 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 they don't get through posts, for example. Right. Huh. I mean, look, look at that girl. You know what I mean? Like they, they never get to see the light of day. So I've been doing this long enough to know that you can't count on anything. You can only just enjoy the work while you're doing it and hope yeah. that you get to meet people and work with amazing people. And then you move on to the next job. Right. So I don't, I don't think about the impact of my work. You know, so for these people to say that, I literally was just like, what? And I was just a mess, like instant tears. I was a mess Yeah. because yeah. I was like, what? You were a little boy. I'm trying to imagine him being a little kid, you know, being a movie theater. <laughs> and you're here now. <laughs> and I got, yeah. I got yeah. Stupid. You know, this is a, such a great role. I really love this movie with daughter. Just, you know, without giving too much away, your character is all about, in, in a way, ah, not too much to give away, but there's a, thing about assimilation there's something about survival and I, I think we can apply that to our lives at a certain generation you know just assimilating to you know being american but then it seems for you as an actor and, an, and as an artist you've done that as far as working in the business but you've made it a point in your life you thought you set up about the process but you've made it a concerted effort to spotlight the asian american experience through your work can you just talk about that element and balancing the two because it seems like instead of assimilating and, and just going the safe route, you've, you've managed to actually bring out so many voices throughout your career, you know, and, and what you do. Thank you. Um, I think this is what you're asking. Um, for me with, with mother specifically, it gave me a chance to, to yes, marry a lot of the things that I have experienced as, as an actress who have been, been in this industry for a long time, but also as just a human being going through life in America, because I myself am a refugee from Vietnam. I am a survivor of the Vietnam War. I'm first generation, you know what I mean? Like, I, I wasn't just born here and my parents were refugees. No, I am one. So um, what mother is, yes, I... What I really wanted to do with mother is not, not separate myself from my Vietnamese identity. I, mother is Vietnamese. So that's why we very intentionally had her speak Vietnamese with, with the new you know, sister. But at the same time, I wanted to show that she, she's a code switcher. 
right? Which we all have to do. With father, she speaks English. She speaks perfect English. And that was something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to put um, an accent on mother, right? She is just nice, sweet wife. And she speaks English with father. And then she switches with daughter and she shows a different side. And we all have to do that. I know that, you know, I'm speaking to you. I'm like, I know and other Asian American um, actors. I'm sure we've had to do that. But I wanted to show that she's all these things, just like I'm all these things. I speak English just fine. I also speak Vietnamese perfectly, right? I'm not one or the other. I am both. And I wanted to marry that. And we, um, we are just complex. We are everything. We don't have to be put in boxes. A lot of the work I have done, um, people would request that I do it with an accent to show, to really, to really play up that refugee side of me, right? And, and I try to have this discussion. I always try to fight. I don't always win. I always, you know, try to advocate, not fight, but advocate saying, well, you know, my character is middle-aged and she's been in this country. She is a refugee because I would be playing a refugee, but, but she's been in this country a long time. Just like me, I've been in this country a lot. Can I just talk like this? <laughs> you know, no, we really want the accent to really play up the fact that she is that refugee. She's a former boat person and, and their labels and their specific visions of what we should be and who we, sh- we are put on us. And I love the fact that because this was an indie film produced and just, you know, and written by Corey and directed by Corey and produced by Vivian and Jess and all the our other producers, we can do whatever we want. And, and Corey invited that. He wrote the script and then we, we got together over um, at a, pho, a restaurant, literally eating pho, right? And said, okay, Elise, let's talk about your character. What do you want to do? right? What do you want to see that's different? And I just love that whole process. It wasn't just the shooting of it, but the pre-production process as well. Oh, I get to have an input. I get to have input. You asking me what I want for mother. That's incredible. That's who, amazing. Who, who asked me that? Who asked me that? <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> and I apologize because this question, it's going to, hard to, it's going to be hard to encapsulate in, in one soundbite, but what has been this, the, this whole three and a half to four year journey for you leading up, culminating to, I guess, the premiere last year, uh, October-ish, and then now with the premiere, he, uh, premiere here and just getting all the kind of feedback from the people who will, will be watching Daughter. Is it just an overwhelming kind of experience for you just overall? It is. It is so overwhelming. And I'm so pleasantly i don't want to say surprise because it's, it, it makes it it might make it sound like i thought it was going to tank and people were going to hate it that's not it at all and and this goes back to what i was saying earlier i'm so process oriented i don't think about how it's going to be received you know because that's not my job and i can't control that right i can only control my own performance what i do and, and then it goes to post and it gets edited you know things get cut whatever changed and then so i i don't have any control over that so i don't focus on what kind of reviews are we going to get and what are people going to think i only base my own success on did i do what i wanted to do am i pretty happy with the work that i did that i put in right and then i move on and i was i I thoroughly enjoyed my experience in this. I love the collaborative process. I loved everyone I was working with. It was, we had a lot of obstacles. If you've talked to the other people, you know some of the obstacles we have. We're like, what? Wasps? Wasp attacks? You know, like, what's going on? <laughs> Fires? Okay. Um, we had so many obstacles, but we are here. And it's, yes, it's almost miraculous that we made here. We're like this, the little, the little movie that could, 
you know, we, we, we're just a bunch of scrappy, scrappy POCs who wanted to make this film and we wouldn't give up. And then here we are. And I almost can't believe it because as you say, it's been a long journey and I can't believe it, but I'm thrilled. I'm happy. And the fact that people seem to be liking it, you know, like the nice things that you said, yes, I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm just like, wow, they like our weird little film. We weren't trying to cater to anyone. We didn't make it so that people would like us. We made the movie that we wanted to make, you know, to entertain ourselves, the kind of movie that we wanted to see. And there's no guarantee that anybody else would like the things that we wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, before we go, just uh, what else are you working on? You have your blog, Pop Culture Nerd. Can you talk about that? The Family Circus. And I look, even though I'm 51, I can barely get out of the valley. Uh, what, what's, it, what's it like to live in another country for a while? Because you have a lot of more guts than I do. I'm, I'm a scared hermit. So all those three things, like what are you working on and all that stuff? Oh, my gosh. I'm working on a bunch of things that I can't say yet, but they're probably going to drop later on this year. Yeah, just a bunch of things, all NDAs. Um, luckily, I've been very busy. It's been just a great time for me professionally, and I feel very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, hopefully soon. And maybe I'll get to talk to you again for those things. Uh, what is it like to live in a different country? I feel very lucky to have been born in Vietnam and to have that be my primary language, my first language anyway, because Vietnamese is a hard language, right? And and I I kind of feel for Vietnamese American um, people who were born here and they want to connect to that. And they're like, Oh, but it's so hard. We have to learn it here. Right. Well, I was born there, I grew up, you know, speaking it. And then I got to go to school there. So it, it's ingrained in me. And so that's, um, that's a benefit. Like, Hey, I didn't have to go to Vietnamese classes. I have friends who are, are paying for Vietnamese classes so that they can learn to speak to their elders, you know, the, the grandparents or whatever. And I'm like, I got it for free, <laughs> you know, I didn't have to pay for classes. So that's, that's one benefit. And um, yeah, I love to travel. There is a famous quote and I wish I can remember who said it. It's that um, travel is the antidote to racism because once you travel and you've lived in other places and you meet different types of people, you can't hate them because a lot of xenophobia is about fear of the unknown, right? You don't know, them and you know when they're weird and they're scary whatever because you don't understand them but if you travel and you lived in other places and you understand people um i spent four months in italy last summer and i started feeling italian after a while you know we're like yo i'm a local now <laughs> right and i appreciated the italian way of life like they have siestas every day restaurants were shut down from two to seven right so if you get hungry on four you're on your own, right? You better just go to the store and get some ramen or something and eat a couple of noodles because everything is, but I, everything is closed. But I love that because they care about rest. You know how, instead of just our cultures that get got to work all the time, even on weekends, I love the fact they're like, nope, we're chilling. We're chilling between two and seven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, I love that. I love being in different places. And just understanding and learning about how other people live because we don't know everything. There isn't just one right way to live. Thank you. Again, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on daughter. Thank you so much.